When the first horses appeared, around 56 million years ago, you'd have been hard-pressed to spot one in the wild. Known as the Dawn Horse, they weren't even two foot in height. Over the next 50 million years, as grasslands naturally came into existence, horses adapted to these new open landscapes. They grew taller, faster and stronger. And for millennia, they ran free and wild throughout the world. Humans began to tame horses about 5,000 years ago, mostly for food and milk. Then horses began to change the dynamic of the world. People could travel greater distances, carry more supplies. For centuries, the horses ploughed our fields, taking us to war and back. And as the world developed, we relied on their strength, endurance and loyalty. And they became our companions. About 200 years ago, we began to race them. And as all of that happened, we began to understand them. Horses communicate through body language. With just a look, a flick of the ear, a turn of the head, they'll tell you something, once you know what to look out for. But they also communicate through sound. They can tell you when they're happy, when they're afraid, or angry, or excited. During the late summer and early autumn of 2013, there was a horse making all of these sounds as he settled into his new surroundings at a stable in the southwest of England. You're listening to episode 3 of Tiger Roll, The People's Horse from RTE Documentary and One. At the end of episode 2, Tiger Roll's new owner, trainer Nigel Hawke, had just taken him home to his yard in Devon. Very happy with the price, very happy with the horse. Uh, obviously bring him home um, and start training them. Remember, Nigel had bought Tiger Roll from Godolphin Racing for just 10000 And his plan was to race him, hope he'd do well, and then sell him on for a profit. My colleague Michael met with Mark Quinlan, the jockey who'd have to work in Tiger. He's never spoken about this time before. He didn't prove too much as what Godolphin said to us, but do you know any insight of what, what his notes were when he came back? Or? No, it's very difficult for me to know what happened in Godolphin, but when we got him, he didn't really know. The penny hadn't dropped what he was, basically. He did, the horse didn't know he was a thoroughbred bred for racing. And he had a little issue, as in his, his temperament, his brain was just... It, he just had too much galloping and he knew that, you know, by riding him. So he'd be going on to the gallop bucking, but that's nothing to do with the way he was broken, but just it was his way of trying to get the rider off. You know, he'd be whipping around, going on to the gallop, trying to get myself off so he didn't have to do his work, you know. The work that Nigel and Mark were trying to get Tiger to do was just to run, to gallop. But he didn't even want to run. Born, bred and trained as a flat horse up to now, running was all Tiger knew. Catherine, Nigel's wife, remembers those first few days when they began to train Tiger. Nigel got him out on the gallops. He was very cheeky 
um, in the sense that there were issues with him not wanting to go on the gallops and things like that, really. He was quite a cheeky horse, to say the least, but that's never a bad thing as long as you control it. You know, he had a bit of spirit to him, he had a bit of character, you know, so he, he wasn't quite straightforward. He didn't want to do anything. He did never go anywhere by himself. He just, just wasn't in love with the game at the time, you know. Tiger was about three and a half years old now. This was really his final chance at making it as a racehorse. He knew how to run. He just didn't like to. After a few weeks, it became pretty clear to everyone at Nigel's yard that something would have to change. One day I said to Nigel when he was, when he was getting more reluctant to go on to the gallops, I said, we need to do something different with the horse because he's, he's sick of the gallops, you know, he's been on them all his life and he just wants to do something different. And that's when it came to um, getting him into the school and trotting him over poles and barrels and things like that. And that's when, he, that's when the penny dropped. That's when he knew his purpose in life, should we say. <laughs> Once Tiger had jumped over something, anything, it was like a switch flicked on in his head. But the moment you jumped in, you then saw a different horse. And I think that was a great day. Something changed inside him. It was this exact moment that transformed Tiger forevermore. Um, his greatest asset was his jumping, and he was just natural. Um, it's frightening things. I might be the first one to ever jump him, but I wouldn't put that on record. But uh, I think I was funny enough. It's what you call him again, he would have had a natural eye. He had a natural eye for an obstacle. He went forward, he could weigh it up. He was, he was always the type of horse, that type of horse you ride with great confidence because you know you get to the other side. This wasn't what Nigel had planned for. His aim when buying Tiger was to race him in a bumper, which is a flat race. But now they had a horse that seemed to light up whenever he'd jump over something. In a matter of days, everything had suddenly changed. Each morning, Tiger was now eager to get out of his box and go training. He took to it like a duck on water, you know. He loved it, absolutely loved it. He was very, very happy to go over all the jumps. So we took him out into the field and start doing loads out in the field. And at this stage, he was going out there to the field like by himself, you know. A little young horse going over all these jumps with no lead horse, you know, no older horse in front of him to show him what to do. He'd done it by himself. He was just born to jump, basically, yeah. <laughs> Horses have excellent memories. Gary Witherford is a horse whisperer who's worked with some of the top racehorses in the world. He knows how horses think and he can understand what was changing inside Tiger's head at this point in his life. It's gone from a big, big yard just being a number. You know, he's not one of the top 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 horses he's not going out first lot you know and it's all about confidence as well horses need their confidence the confidence is so much so he's gone from being a big 200 horse yard in in Newmarket to you know maybe 15 20 horses so he's the kingpin you know he suddenly again going back to his fold days and going back in the paddocks I'm kingpin here and, he, and their confidence grows, and, and especially if he's, you know, the trainer or, you know, sort of suddenly sort of sees this horse jump and think, my God, this horse can jump. This horse can jump. And then Nigel, the trainer, then starts to bring this horse on a little bit more, and it's be the first time that he would start to feel special, like when his breed of 
the special with him, stroking him and cuddling him and going to see him. And, you know, the, the, Nigel would have been thinking, this is a nice horse. I'm going to make some money out of this. I'm going to sell this. And this, is, this could be, a, you know, like you say, a Godolphin reject that we could make money on. The whole world had now changed for Tiger. And at three and a half, Mark Quinlan can still remember that he hadn't stopped growing. He started growing as well after about six weeks of work. He started growing a bit more. So we had to like just go a little bit steadier with him then to let that growth spell come, you know, and, and just take it from there. After a brief growth spurt, Tiger was back in training. Nigel and Mark had unlocked his secret. They'd gotten inside his head. Well, I just kept saying to Nigel that we have to keep him happy is the main thing. You know, we can get him fit without galloping him. We didn't train him like a normal horse because he just didn't want to do it, you know. So hence why we train them as like you know we go around hack around the fields and go jumping hedges and go and jumping anything we could lay our eyes on you know basically hurdles fences whatever it may be but that's what he got himself fit without us galloping him every day you know tiger roll was now unrecognizable from the horse that nigel and catherine had bought some seven or eight weeks earlier to the point where it was a joy to jump him um, so it was, and, and I think that's what really got Tiger's attitude on the straight and narrow was the fact that he was enjoying his jumping. Even in his stable, Tiger was now a different horse. But he was a, a little lamb in the stable. He was very good in the stable um, to the point that the children used to come along and, and pet him and, um, you know, not, not be too afraid. He wasn't going to bite them or anything. But yeah, he was, he was a character, definitely. That character within Tiger could still be a little spiky, as another rider in Nigel's yard was about to find out. I think, I think there was once or twice I wasn't in, and a chap called Roddy Green was riding for Nigel, and it was a Saturday I had to go racing or something, and I came in on the Monday, and Roddy said to Nigel, never riding that horse again. Tiger had bucked and turned and twisted until he got Roddy off his back. Roddy was like me, trying to get him onto the gallops and, and he'd bucked and whipped around at the same time. So he left Roddy, stood beside him and Roddy was a little bit older than me, so he hit the ground a bit harder. <laughs> so um, that we, he always had it in him to do that, you know. And obviously Roddy didn't know him day in, day out like I did, so he, he just caught Roddy off guard. By now, Mark had developed a relationship with Tiger and was able to manage him. And what Nigel and himself were now seeing in the Tiger was a natural ability to jump fences. Something you just don't see that often in horses. Born to run, they've got to learn how to jump. Basically, by the time you get to a fence on young horses like Tiger, you've done so much groundwork with poles, barrels and smaller obstacles. So by the time you get to a fence, they know the basics of how to jump. And, he, you know, you, you turn him into a fence, he locks on. He doesn't look left or right like most young horses would to try and get out of what their job is. He'd lock onto the fence and go and do his job. And then he'd be pricking his ears after it and he'd put his head down for a pick of grass and he'd be delighted with himself, you know? You know we never took him off the farm to prep him in any way, shape or form. He only ever done all of his jumping at home with us, that was it. Because he was naturally originally going to go on the bumper route, but because his jumping was so good and he actually pricked his eyes to a jump, the obvious route to go straight juvenile hurdling. And to be honest, the route we went is quite unusual. It doesn't happen very often for a horse that's never run at all. The juvenile hurdle that Nigel mentions is a race where horses jump over obstacles, called hurdles, 
which are about three foot in height. And if the horse hits them, the hurdle just falls down. It was now October 2013, and so Nigel began looking for a race that a complete novice like Tiger could have a chance at winning. I then sat down, did an awful lot of homework, basically find the worst juvenile possible. And on record that the juvenile at market race had never been a big field, I thought we would have to go very close. Unless we meet a flying machine, we, we would run a good, genuine race. Tiger Roll was now entered into his very first race, due to take place on November 10th, 2013, at Market Raisin, a race course in the East Midlands of England. Nigel's plan was all coming together, and in the days leading up to the race, Mark felt Tiger was working really well. Ten days, two weeks beforehand, before the race, he was, you know, he was really enjoying his work then, you know, he was going jumping, then he was going on the gallops, and he was, he was working with some quite decent horses that Nigel had, and I was going upside them, and he was laughing at them. You know, they were struggling to keep up with him, you know? That's when we kind of knew that this lad has, he does have an engine, but it's just asking him to get it out of him rather than telling him to give it to us, you know? The reason Nigel picked Market Raisin, it's a very fair course. When he entered him, there wasn't an awful lot of entries in the race, so it was only going to be a small field. It was a nice introduction, and, you know, we, we thought, we'd give him a lovely uh, introduction into racing, basically, yeah. If Tiger could win the race, it'd qualify him for bigger races, like Cheltenham. And as a business plan for Nigel, that'd see Tiger's value shoot up. The morning of the race had arrived, and Mark, Nigel and Catherine loaded Tiger up and set off for his first ever race. The morning of the race? Yeah, we all set off, as we do. It took an awful long time to get there to market raisins, about five and a half hours from us. But he travelled very sweetly. He, not much would phase him in that sense. Even things like having a racing saddle on for the first time, we'd done that at home, done the prep at home with that, so it wasn't a new thing when he got to the races, you know. The race didn't look very strong on paper. You know, Richard Johnson was riding the odds-on favourite um, in the race. So, basically, I just said to Nigel, look, just keep it simple. Uh, I mean, the, the breeding gives you two ways... The in, racing TV it? channel were broadcasting from Market Raisin that day. The bookies had placed Tiger Roll as fourth out of the five horses that were running, with odds of just 12 to 1. And for anyone tuning into the race... The racing TV tipsters didn't hold out much hope for Tiger. But um, the other horse we've never seen, nobody's ever seen before, Tiger Roll, uh, unraced. Nice pedigree, very authorised. Very, very. 70,000 guineas as a, as a foe, 10,000 guineas uh, this summer. And no-one's still seen him because he walked around the paddock with <laughs> the largest blanket I've ever seen on a horse. I mean, you couldn't tell... You could barely tell that he had four legs, Tom, let alone what sort of condition he was in. Mark was now going to ride Tiger and hope that the training over the past few months would pay off. He was walking around down the start like an old pro. You'd think he was a 10-year-old at this stage, not a 3-year-old having his first run under rules. Let's go up for the first time this afternoon and say a warm welcome to Malcolm Tomlinson. Thank you, Tom. Good afternoon, everybody. Runners just been called out onto the race course, as you heard. Two miles and a furlong in front of them. They jump eight flights of hurdles in total. They're turning in to face the starter. Walking in, and they're off. And Zamoyski is the first to begin as they go down towards the first of eight flights of... Tiger's size became noticeable in the parade ring. In national hunt racing, horses tend to be physically bigger and taller 
than a flatbred horse like Tiger. But that didn't matter to Nigel or jockey Mark Quinlan. They'd hatched a very simple plan. Stay as close as they could to the favourite in the race, Zamoyski, ridden by Richard Johnson. We'll follow Richard Johnson around down the inside because he knew Tiger was so straightforward, he could put him anywhere in the race at all. He doesn't pull, doesn't do anything stupid, you know. All, all he wants to do is jump. Zamoyski taking a little bit of a grip in front under Richard Johnson, leads up by just over a couple of lengths. Half a length back to Tiger Roll, racing in third. So that hen- hence why we just kept it simple and just followed the favourite down the paint, down, down the rail. Yeah. Turning right-handed to head back towards the home straight then. The uh, next flight is flight number two. The we jumped off in the race and, you know, to be honest, like for the first couple of hurdles, he didn't, obviously, he'd never seen anything else, only what he'd seen at home. So the hurdles in the race course are slightly different, obviously, what we have at home, you know. So when you're coming at them with a bit more speed as well, he didn't jump them, obviously, with fluency, you know, loads of fluency. So heading up towards us with just over a circuit to travel in the first Security Solutions juvenile hurdle race, and Zamoyski lobs along on a tight rein, leading up by a couple of lengths to Tiger Roll towards the inside of Nova. As soon as he has a lap under his belt, you could really feed him, you know, what we felt at home then. You know, he, 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 was, he was starting to travel a lot better. His jumping started to get much off, much slicker. And then um, we were going down the back straight, and we jumped the last hurdle down the back straight just before we swung down the hill into the home straight. And I could see Richard Johnson in front of me just half niggling away thinking, like, you know, well, I have him covered. All I need to know is what's behind me. So I had a little look behind me, and the rest of them are all squeezing and slapping away. And I said, Jesus, so we have this. Zamoyski just gets a tap down the shoulder from Richard Johnson, but still travels OK. Tiger Rose running a big race in second on his race course debut. Ran down the hill into the home straight, came down to the second last, a bit of a slow jump. But as soon as I shook the reins at him and give him a little slap down the shoulder of the stick you could really feel the engine kick in then you know and we came down to the last and he was spring-heeled to the last he was like a, a fresh horse Owners Nigel and Catherine Hawke were looking on at Tiger Nigel was, whenever he's quite excited about a horse he goes very quiet um, so we were watching the race in the bookies at Market Raisin he was very quiet but as he was coming up the home stretch he basically, well, we both did the same, we both ran out of the bookies and we were sort of running alongside Tiger as he was coming up the home stretch. Here's the final flight for Tiger Road and he jumped that well. And so then I was about six, seven lengths clear then after I jumped the last and then he just started to look around and then thinking where, is he, where was his friends, you know, what was going on, why was he alone? For Nigel's plan to work, Mark had to get Tiger to win. Up the persuader on the leader, Tiger Roll, but he's got a lead of five lengths to no not now in second. Zamoyski back in third, racing inside the final half. Tiger Roll on his race course debut for trainer Nigel Hawke. Jockey Mark Quinlan will go on to land the opener. Tiger Roll's gone on to cause a bit of a shock here in second. Um, no it was a very memorable day, very memorable. And it was it was just as, as Nigel planned it. We, we couldn't believe it, it could sort of be so you know so much um, so much planning goes into it and, and, and it all came true for a horse to win the very first race is pretty rare but as Tiger would go on to prove throughout his life this was just a sign of things to come well a shocker in our opening race the Moisky the long odds on favourite gets well turned over and a Tiger Earl who had never run on the flat makes a winning hurdling debut under Mark Quinlan for Nigel Hawke. This horse has done it well. 
Hasn't he? Well, we, hadn't, we couldn't see him in the paddock, but you could certainly see him on the track, couldn't you? He's, uh, he has done this work. I thought he'd, he'd travel well throughout. Hurdling was largely OK. Uh, what more could you ask? You know, first time he's ever seen a race course and off to a winning start. After he passed the winning line, I eased down on him. Sure, he, he wouldn't blow a candle out, you know. He was that fit and, you know, he, he, he didn't have a race, really. He was just, just a little gallop around and jumped a few hurdles, really, you know. I mean, for a horse who has never run in any sort of race, he was quite professional in every aspect. Yeah, when he, when he came into the paddock, he just sort of had a little look around for about two seconds Ooh. and then he behaved himself after that. It just was sort of acclimatising to his surroundings. But, yeah, he's, uh, he's not, not a yard you'd normally associate with, with Sheikh Mohammed cast-offs and no. uh, juvenile hurdlers first time out. But I suspect there's been a... A minor little touch landed with this, and well done if it has. The UK racing TV tipster was right. A touch had been landed on Tiger. He was now a winner, and his value was multiples of the 10,000 that Nigel had paid for him just a few months earlier. Oh, sure, obviously, Nigel and Nigel's partner, Catherine, are delighted, and they're high-fiving everyone. And, you know, you always ask yourself, what next, then, for this little horse, you know? And it's great to get that win winning or develop, but what can he do next? And... An awful lot of preparation goes into a horse to win first time in a race course, you know, especially juveniles. So, yeah, it was a big thing. Any horse in the yard you have a winner, it's, it's, it's great pleasure. And uh, a lot of plans go wrong, but that was a plan that went right and it, it was great for everyone. Whilst no one knew it then, that day in Market Raisin would forever be remembered in the story of Tiger Roll. So much so that the race course named their bar in his honour, the Tiger Roll Bar. So my name is Nadia Powell, General Manager at Market Raisin Racecourse. This bar has always been here. It was called the um, County Bar previously. Tiger Roll obviously won his first race here. Um, we, we watched his career quite closely over, over the years and decided to name the bar um, after him. You know, we, we, we like to tell the story. We like to celebrate his success, celebrate his success starting here and then going obviously what he's gone on to. And, you know, we're just lucky that we got to see him first on this course. After the race... Tiger was brought back home. Nigel and Catherine's plan had worked. Now there was only one part left, and they were sticking to it. And Nigel has always said that this, this horse will be something special. And so when we hatched the original plan, we were sort of thinking, oh, do we really have to sell? <laughs> but um, we'd, we'd made the plan to sell him, and, and you know we had to go through with that. Tiger continued his training. Each morning, Nigel and Mark would take him out, all the while progressing his jumping and galloping. It was now mid-November 2013, and Nigel had decided to place Tiger Roll for sale at the Cheltenham December sales, just a few weeks away. Mark Quinlan, he gave me a lot of stick because he begged me not to sell it, but yeah, Mark always fought the world of the horse, so when he was the Aussiest man to ride on that day at market race, and he rode him very confident, and he'd done a very good job on him. When Michael was interviewing Mark, he remembered this time. Nigel decides he's going to sell him. Did he say anything to you about selling Tiger? No, nothing. Nothing at all. No. no, no, nothing. Did you not tell him to keep him? No, not look. It's a business at the end of the day, you know. And like, I, I, I'm not in the position to say, yeah. sell this horse, keep this horse. For me, it would have been lovely to keep him because I felt the engine. I felt what the horse can do, you know. I, could, I said to Nigel, lucky he'd win another... I would have liked to ride him in a better race 
a better race will bring out better in the horse, you know. He's, it's one of those situations where Nigel and Catchum are building a business and unfortunately that's what has to happen. What did you tell him to keep him? <laughs> I did, but he didn't listen. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, that's neither here nor there now, isn't it? There wasn't any deliberations. Um, we'd obviously hatched the plan back in August that we were buying a horse to sell. So we put a high reserve on him because we liked him. I was totally convinced we wouldn't sell him. I had, I just hadn't come to terms with the idea that he would go. Um, I just thought he would go, wouldn't meet the reserve, and we'd race him the next day. Tiger's reserve price had been set at 80000 so that's the minimum he'd be sold for. A huge leap up from the 10000 that Nigel, Catherine and co-owner Bill Sims had paid for him just four months earlier. Of course I remember him going, but it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a big farewell thing because in my mind I thought he was coming back. As the sale was taking place at Cheltenham, Nigel also entered Tiger into a race there, due to take place the day after the sale, just in case Tiger didn't make the reserve price. Nigel rode him round Cheltenham. He had to exercise him himself. And um, I think Nigel got very close to, to Tiger um, and they had quite a few special days together going round Cheltenham. Cheltenham is the most famous jumps track in the world. Every March, the Cheltenham Festival attracts the best national hunt horses as they compete in 28 races over four days. To win there is the ultimate prize for any jockey, owner or trainer. So stand by for what is known as the Cheltenham Roar. And the Cheltenham Festival begins with these... And Cheltenham would go on to become a huge part of Tiger's story. But his very first ride around Cheltenham was on a December day in 2013, with just Nigel and himself on the track. And I think that time especially I spent at Cheltenham with him, why I got so attached to him, because he was just such an agreeable horse. He became part of the family, and he, he's a horse that tries to please. I mean, he's, he's a bit of a character, and he's, he's like a naughty child at times. But at the end of the day, he's got a heart of gold. He was just a lovely horse. The day of the sale arrived. Richard Botterill from Tattersall's was the auctioneer in charge of Selling Tiger. Yeah, I remember very clearly it was in December and it was the 2013, our December sale. I think there was probably about 45 horses in the sale, that usually a select sale. Nigel Hawke had rung us asking if we'd consider taking his horse for sale. He'd won a juvenile hurdle uh, just recently at uh, Market Raisin. So we had a look at it, he had a value he wanted on the horse and we thought, yep, we'd give him a chance and take the horse. He was a very strong horse, good walker, very good looking, but just lacked a bit of size. But everything else about him, you know, you, you'd have liked. Nigel was adamant that he wanted 80,000 for the horse. My final conversations were probably with him at that time when he, he wanted 80,000 for the horse that, look, he, he might not make it. Um, you know, would you not try and put him on at 60? Uh, see if we can get that for him. But he was absolutely, absolutely adamant. Nigel really believed in the horse, and at the end of the day, the horse belongs to Nigel, not the auctioneer. The day before the sale, you're talking to Nigel again and just finding out who has looked at the horse. Uh, and there was a, quite a few, I think, national, UK national hunt trainers who'd looked at him. Another person who looked at Tiger Roll was Mags O'Toole. 
Now in the horse bloodstock industry, just say the name Mags to anyone and they'll know who you're talking about. Mags has been buying horses for people for years. Her buyer's instinct has been honed throughout her life and handed down from her father before her. And at that Cheltenham sale, she spotted the good-looking tiger. He was a very well-put-together horse with very good action, um, a great head, which doesn't make them run any faster, but it is important. Um, and like I say, he'd won his only start and jumped very well doing it, so there weren't that many minuses. Mags wasn't on her own that day. Eddie O'Leary and I'm the racing manager for Jinkerstone Housestud. I saw a tiger with Mags at the, at, the, at the sale in Cheltenham. I worked very closely for the last 20 years with Eddie O'Leary and together we've been buying for a good few years for Jigginstown House Stud. Jigginstown House Stud near Mullingar in County Westmeath is where Michael O'Leary lives, the chief executive of Ryanair, Europe's largest budget airline. And over about the last 20 years, Michael has invested heavily in horse racing through Gigginstown House Stud. Michael's brother Eddie is the manager of the stud and between Eddie and Mags they buy all the racing stock for Michael. And they'd gone to that Cheltenham sale for a very specific reason. Well we went to the Cheltenham sale basically looking for bigger staying type horses which is what Michael O'Leary likes to have, he loves chasers. Um, but it happened to be a year where we had no three-year-old for that year. At this stage, Tiger Roll was three years old, and his win at Market Raisin meant he had potential to run at one of the two juvenile hurdle races due to take place the following March at the Cheltenham Festival, known as the Fred Winter or the Triumph Hurdle. The Fred Winter is a lower-grade race than the Triumph, so aimed at horses that have won at least once, but are really only starting out. So this horse was there, he'd won his only start, he was eligible for the race, and that's how we landed on him. Eddie was there, um, he has the call on all those decisions, although we work together, it's it's all Eddie's call. He was a nicely made horse, who'd won first time out for Nigel Hawk, so the fact he won first time out and won well, gave him a chance of being a fit winter horse, no more than that. Tiger Roll looked like a decent young horse to bring to Cheltenham, to compete in the Fred Winter Juvenile Hurdle Race. So Eddie made his call and bought Tiger. His winning bid was 80000 exactly Tiger's reserve price. And a very good price for owners Nigel and Catherine Hawke, who couldn't quite believe it. Even though this was their business plan all along, part of them had hoped that Tiger wouldn't sell. But I still, to this day, really thought Tiger wasn't going to get sold. <laughs> Tiger Roll was now in the ownership of Gigginstown House Stud. I went over the mags. Oto, um, and I said I, I asked. I was desperate to keep the horse, to be quite honest. And obviously, he was bought for gig and stone, so I'd accept it. But um, for any, you know, up and coming yard, small yard, you never. Right, it's a business, and he had, you know, he was he was bought to be sold. But it's nice if I could ever keep it as well. Would have been a bonus. The expectations from Mags and Eddie when buying Tiger weren't much. They weren't very high. They were maybe we'll win another race with him in Ireland and then he'll get to Cheltenham. The O'Leary's place their horses with a variety of trainers, and one of those trainers is Gordon Elliott. The question arose as to who would now become Tiger Roll's new trainer. We bought two other horses at that sale, one for a lot of money that Gordon Elliott hoped he was getting. And Gordon was at the sale that night. But that horse ended up in Willie Mullins's, and Gordon got Tiger Roll, much to his annoyance at the time. In 2013, Gordon Elliott was just after settling into his own training yard 
at Coolentra House near Longwood in County Meath. Gordon's reputation as a leading horse trainer was rising fast, and he wanted to train the very best of Michael O'Leary's horses. And at that point, Tiger Roll didn't fit into that equation. Gordon wants to get a different horse. Um, I said, Mags bought Tiger Roll with, for, 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 no, for no other trainer. He'd gone to some other trainer and bought another horse the same night. And when the other horse didn't go to Gordon, he threw the toys out of the pram. And I said, Gordon, you can have Tiger Roll. And I said, I don't want a little fucker. <laughs> Over the years, Gordon Elliott has given Tiger Roll everything and trained him to become the horse of a lifetime. But back in that December night in 2013, Gordon felt very differently. I was at the sale, um, you know, uh, Jiggins and I bought three horses uh, on the night and uh, I actually wanted another horse and didn't get him on the night and he was kind of a, um, you know, an afterthought getting Tiger Roll, you know. I suppose it's probably the first time I ever threw the ties out of the pram with Michael O'Leary, you know, I, uh, we had a few harsh words and he just says to me, look, this has to be done for, for, for a reason, he says, but uh, he's just don't panic and say nothing and listen, I, I let a few F's and blinds on me, but... You can say he was going to be this or he was going to be that. He was just bought his another horse at the time. I think he'd have done what, he, what he'd done, you know, I'd be telling you a lie. That night, Tiger left Cheltenham and was shipped back to Gordon's yard in County Meath. It was another new home for Tiger, another new yard. No one could have predicted what was about to happen next. And that's where we'll be going in episode four of Tiger Roll, the People's Horse. Horse especially Tiger. You don't find him. He'll find you. Tiger Roll, The People's Horse was written, recorded and produced by Michael Lawless, Tim Desmond and myself, Liam O'Brien. Sound design by Damien Chanel. Production assistance from the RT Documentary and One Team. And a special thanks to all our contributors and to the RT Design, Marketing and Creative Audio Departments. For further information on the series, visit rte.ie forward slash tiger roll. Thanks for listening.